I was walking into the grocery aisle the other day, and on one side I could see the magazines laid out, and on the other side I could see all of the confections and things that tempt you. And on one side it would say, you'll be happy if you lose 50 pounds. And on the other side, this is how you gain it back. (laughs) And I was struck by this. Because see, one side is presenting the good life. And we have this message bombarding us day in and day out. The good life means you're strong or thin or happy or rich. Your husband is handsome. Your wife is beautiful. Your job is fulfilling. Your kids are obedient. (laughs) Paige is in the house today. (laughs) And it struck me how much I've bought into that image of the good life. But you see, at the same time the magazines are presenting perfection, the newspapers are selling fear. Have you ever noticed that? It's like the media is schizophrenic. This is what the good life looks like, but y'all, it's terrible out there. This is what's going to make you happy, but you're never going to get it because everything is bad. And we walk around with this tension playing out in our minds day in and day out. And we're all just getting a little bit more discouraged and depressed. What do we do when our image of the good life has been turned completely upside down? We've been talking about living out our faith every day. And this morning, I want to talk about making faith our way of life. So that our image of the good life isn't rooted in the gospel of success. Or the gospel of wealth, or health, or beauty. Or even rooted in the gospel of progress and success but that is rooted in the Gospel of Jesus Christ that says regardless of what is happening in your life right now, God is good. He remains on the throne. He has a plan. And He has a purpose. So we live inside that truth. That Gospel. And not in the Gospel that's splayed across magazines or splashed across newspapers. Do we still have newspapers? See, the problem is we don't still have newspapers, which means the algorithms that are driving the news feeds into your iPad, phone, tablet, computer is selling you just the perfect level of fear for you. Can I say that again? The algorithms of the news feeds that we are watching have tailor-made fear just for you. 
And we're increasingly living with that agitation and anxiety. I really like Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. You can find him close to the end of the Old Testament. He's not minor because he's not important. He's minor because we really only hear a little bit about his life. Now, he was there at the time that Judah was under pressure. It was the time of reign where uh, Josiah had been king. He was just. He had died. And in his place comes Jehoiakim, a son that looked nothing like his father. And Judah was in decline in the midst of violence and uncertainty. And chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Habakkuk, he's crying out to God, Lord, this is falling apart. The good life, the promise, the magazines are not coming true. It is more like the front page of the newspaper getting worse and worse and worse. And he cries out to God. And in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God says it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I don't want to be a killjoy. But I actually think things are going to get worse for us. I do not think we're on the incline as a society. I think we are on a decline. We cannot continue to live our lives in separation of the Gospel truth and expect God to continue to bless our society. We cannot continue to have increased family violence. That was in the news this morning. Violence in the family has been on a five-year incline and it has spiked in COVID-19. What is that going to be for us in 10 years? Which gospel are we going to listen to? See, Habakkuk lived at a time where things were not going to get better. In fact, God promised they were going to get worse. God promises in His Scripture for us things are going to get worse. You see, anyone that preaches a prosperity gospel that says faith in Jesus Christ means things always go up is lying to you. But anyone who says to you, in spite of what's happening around you, you can live in the truth and comfort and love of Jesus because in the midst of all of these crises that are happening around us, it doesn't mean they don't affect us. But we can pray this amazing prayer that Habakkuk sung that I will have faith in God and God alone. See, this is the amazing thing about this prayer that Habakkuk sings out that Jane so well read to us this morning. It follows this passioned plea that God would rescue Judah. And God says, I have a plan, but you're going to go through a valley before you come out the other side. This was no, level crisis, no low-level crisis. We're not talking about his Amazon package was late. He was facing genocide. He was facing a cultural obliteration. And then something profound happens and he has this monumental transformation. And you can see it shift as you read chapter 3. Your homework this week is to sit down in one setting and read all of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters. Even Frank can do it. <laughs> 
Frank picked on me at the board meeting on Monday, so I promised him I'd get him back. You see, his, his, his sense of contentment, his whole mood is remarkably transformed, both in the way he approaches God and of his understanding of the current situation. I, I love how David Crowder says it. Everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. We all want God to be in charge. We all want to see the end times come. We all want to see God's kingdom profoundly prevail, but we don't like the fact that the root there is through this battle with evil. I have heard all about You, Lord. I am filled with awe by Your amazing works. It is this time of our deep need. Help us again as You did in years gone by. And in Your anger, remember Your mercy. You see, it's an uncomfortable truth that Scripture tells us that God is righteous. And in His righteousness, He will stand against human pride. He was standing against the human pride of Babylon. He was standing against the human pride of Israel. And he was righteous in his anger. I am not capable of having righteous anger. It always slips into something that becomes idolatry. But God is capable of that. And he's coming into this point, and, and, and Habakkuk, he's pleading for mercy in the midst of punishment. But then he comes to this place where he realizes we actually deserve this. And then this incredible faith, living it out in real time, making it a way of His life, in spite of a sense that I deserve this punishment, I am still going to have the audacity to ask God for mercy. And we know from history that God is merciful. He saves Judah. He brings the remnant back. That remnant survives through to the birth of Jesus Christ. And then the world was never the same. We don't always understand what mercy is going to look like. But He is a God of mercy. And He knows that the behavior, Habakkuk knows the behavior deserves punishment. He's come to that place where he's realized, I need grace, but grace is all I can have. Because I don't deserve anything in the way of goodness. And so Habakkuk remembers. And he goes through this whole middle section of this prayer. And he remembers the way God rescued His people. The deliverance in the wilderness. Sinai. Moses and Joshua. The gift of the promised land. And he reflects as he prays on these continued and repeated encounters with God. These deep moments where God came in in spite of the way people behaved. In spite of the fact that they kept behaving and, and living their lives contrary to God's commandments, he still, in his mercy, comes in and in the significance of the moment, he rescues them. And he lives in that promise that he's going to do it again and again and again. God will come to the aid of his people as he has always done. But you see what makes this profound for us this morning is that Habakkuk didn't come to the realization that God was going to aid them the way they wanted. He was going to aid them the way they needed. 
See, this is the gospel. This becomes the source of hope for Habakkuk. That these generations after generations after generations that experience this grace of God, Habakkuk comes to realize God is good even though everything around me is bad. And then he starts asking questions. Timeless questions. Uncomfortable questions. He starts to ask God about the reality of evil. He starts to press God about His character. He starts to to look at this and say, is there any point to prayer? God, are you impotent to act? What about the oppressiveness of unrestrained violence and the silence of God? You see, these are dilemmas and traumas that are timeless with this overpowering of violence which continues to this day in our world. Two and a half thousand years after Habakkuk, we are still asking the same questions. And the thing about Habakkuk that is so encouraging is that God never once rebukes Habakkuk for the questions. He never once says, How dare you question me? How dare you lift up your doubts? How dare you have doubts? Never. You see, the story of Habakkuk, what makes it so powerful for me is that God, in spite of my doubts, in spite of my questions, in spite of the ways that I am wrestling with the reality in which I live, He says, I love you. It's going to get hard, but I'm with you every step of the way, and this will make sense one day. So look back, Dwayne, like Habakkuk did, and see how much I have been involved in your life. And so he starts with this strong plea for God to act. And he remembers the repeated ways that God has cared for Israel. And then he finally arrives at this place of confidence and ultimately of celebration and trust. Whatever the future held, he could trust God's provision and unfailing love. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even though the stock market crashes and my retirement has disappeared, even though the grocery store shelves are empty and the crop has failed, even though we no longer have all the promises that our beautiful culture has said we are due. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet. That's such a profound word. You see, Habakkuk's not saying because it's good, because everything's working the way it's supposed to, because I have my RRSP, plump and fat and ready to go, I will, I will praise God. No, he's saying I will rejoice when the hordes are coming over the hills and everything's about to get bloody and violent. The sovereign Lord is my strength. 
He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This is a profound story of fear and faith and then joy. See, Habakkuk doesn't hold back. Habakkuk is telling us the raw and the real emotion that he's experiencing. And in spite of all of that, he comes to this amazing place. James Bruckner writes it this way. Habakkuk believes and trusts in this powerful striding God. He believes that Yahweh will establish justice on the earth. He trusts His Word and will patiently wait because God is the guarantor of the victory. He does not trust first in His own perspective, but in the potency of God which enables Him to wait in faith even when the wicked rule the earth. He trusts in this powerful striding God. He will wait patiently and he will not lean on his own understanding of things. Oh, that's such an important lesson for me. So often I think I know what's happening. So often I think I've got it all figured out. And Habakkuk reminds us, we don't. But God does. And so in remembering these past experiences, it produces this Incredible faith in the presence of the silence of God. He no longer finds hope in what he can see. But he hears the promises in the silence by looking back and seeing how God has faithfully cared for His people. I think Habakkuk's prayer is a model for renewing and maintaining our hope in the midst of of difficult circumstances. Making faith and obedience a way of life. Not rooted to our image of the good life. Not connected to the magazines and the coffee crisps. Best chocolate bar ever, by the way. And Americans don't have them. Which I feel a great source of pride about. Forgive me, Lord. But it's this, it's this way of life but it's not a blind trust. You see, God has given us His Word because He knows we need to be reminded. He knows our trust needs to be built on a foundation. And so it is built. It's built on a, on a foundation of history, of action, of remembrance. And it's formed and sustained in and through the God who has repeatedly saved Israel and His people again and again and again. And so we live this story. You see, the Safeway checkout line, that's a culture that roots its faith in the image of this life that is splashed across the media. And it's a way that's odd so often with God's way. And it's a culture that's rooted in the fear of the news feeds that are sent to our iPads and splashed across all of the places that we see. And it's this negativity that drives our fear. And fear drives us to all sorts of behaviors that are counter 
to the peace and calm and love of just bowing our knees to God and just saying help. We keep coming back to the issue of suffering and injustice. Life that is filled with pain. We have many unanswered questions. As I sit with you, so many of you, week after week, have just so many struggles in your life. Questions that we simply don't have answers for. So how do we respond? In Habakkuk, I think we find a way forward. First, in Habakkuk, we see a seasoned faith. You see, he's growing as he's wrestling out with God. And that process of wrestling, of being faithful enough and trusting enough to ask these really tough questions, it seasons his faith. It builds strength of character. And it creates in him this strong belief that God will be faithful regardless of our circumstances. And as he is seasoned, his faith becomes unflinching. So no matter what comes at him, he makes this his way of life. He doesn't blink. He looks it right in the face. This struggle that's coming. The Babylonian hordes. And he doesn't skip a beat. But his faith remains flexible. You see, often our sense of well-being is rooted in what we think God is doing. And then when we find out it isn't what He's doing, that can shatter our faith. But that wasn't a faith that was resting on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's a faith that's resting on our understanding of how things are supposed to be. Habakkuk had that. Habakkuk was holding on to the promise of the land. And when God revealed something different, his faith was flexible enough to move with what God was doing and let go of what he thought should happen. So he made faith a way of life rooted in the faithfulness of God and not in the image of the Safeway grocery aisle. I actually think this is worship. Amazing things happen when we worship, our perspective changes, people change. But what will we worship and who will we worship? This shapes the very nature of our faith. So where do we begin? Habakkuk looks back. In the midst of his confusion, in the silence of God, he looks back. And he remembers the way that God has established this foundation of trust and hope over the generations to be an encouragement in the midst of of those challenging seasons, even when we're experiencing despair. And this remembering provides that foundation on which we can build the hope because God's past actions help us to understand what we can't see, that He remains active even when we don't understand what's happening. We need that perspective change. And so the action point for us this morning to read Scripture. Just take time and read the stories of how God has been faithful. Because in doing that, our faith is built because we see God's activity and how those people like us don't understand what is happening and have no sense of what the future is going to be. 
but we can see how God acted in their lives. And so we can sit in that hope that God is continuing to do that. Journaling. I've just become such a big fan of journaling. Because when I look back, I can see my laments of the past, the ways that I just simply did not understand what God was doing. And then I see how God was active and faithful in my own life. You see, I don't know about you, but when everything is bad and I'm struggling and feeling discouragement, it pushes out everything else and and that becomes this incredibly challenging moment. But when God brings me through that, I almost have spiritual amnesia. And I forget about that tough time and I forget about what God did. And so journaling reminds me of the way He was active in my own life. And that leads me to look up and look around. Because I think we can see if we have lenses to look for the grace of God as it bursts through in surprising ways every single day. It's hard to see sometimes, especially when we are in the midst of the dark seasons of our life. But God is there. Psalm 19, 1-4 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. Just take time. I like to go for walks because when I'm out in nature, I see God's handiwork. Sometimes I just stop and I'll just stare. If you want to know there's a God, look at a leaf. The profound grace of of what God has given us. So if we're going to recognize and rejoice in God's work that exists in and around us daily, We need to have our eyes open to see this work anew and to make it known to others. We need God's help to do this. See, Habakkuk's plea helps us in this idea and what he pleads for God to renew your work, reveal your work, because both is necessary. We need God to work. We also need to see that work. We can't muscle our way through this. So the action point for us this morning in this area is find a spiritual mentor. Find someone that you can speak to and share what's on your heart who can remind you, who can point to God's goodness. Someone who's a little bit ahead of you in the journey. I've pounded this and I'll continue pounding it. I think we get this in small groups. I think when we gather with a group of believers and we look at God's Word and we celebrate life together, good things happen. The men's group, the gathering, I'm seeing some profound stories coming out of that. My friend and pastor, Mark Buchanan, talks about God-sibs. See, gossip is when we tell stories, sometimes salacious, about what's happening with people around us. But a God-sib is when we tell the stories of God's activities. So let's God-sib. 
Let's remind one another of all that is happening in our world around us and make this a way of life. I remember when I was living in Manila, I was doing some studies on community development, specifically in transformational development, and I had really had gotten rooted in a task-based approach to the work that I was doing. And I had the blessing of sitting with a professor, a, a man of God who had been doing this work for decades. And I was asking, I was struggling with a particular community that just simply wasn't understanding what we were doing, and it just felt like they were stuck. And I just did not know how to break free, how to get them to see that God had something profound for them. And I sat with him, and I thought I was going to get these great development tools. Instead, he said, you need to do a rule of life. I'd never heard of that. I didn't know what it is. And a rule of life is this commitment to live a life in a particular way, to be crafted with prayer and discernment in partnership with God, to consider the ways that God had made me and the values that God had planted in my heart. This rule of life is a tool that can help us make decisions when life is hard and to order our days in ways that have us living out a way of life that is faithful. You see, I was task-oriented, so I was looking at different goals, intentions, resolutions, and I wanted things to grow. These were method-based, and they were brilliant. But they were never going to break through because I wasn't demonstrating a deep trust and abiding in God. We can't live this rule of life perfectly, but it can be lived faithfully. And so I sat down and I wrote out this rule, how I was going to behave, how I was going to take on these challenges. And slowly I saw others begin to have changes in their mindset. And it was rooted in this faith that God was active in this community. See, Habakkuk's prayer reveals that when we make faith our way of life, when we choose to see when we can't see, when we are living in uncertain times with disruption and disorientation, God is there. We may not be experienced Babylon coming over the hills, but that doesn't mean our troubles aren't real and they aren't significant. And Habakkuk shows us that we can trust God with our deepest questions regardless and in spite of the happenings around us. God is still in control. And while we may not like the answers, we can know that God acts justly. He will show mercy, mercy even in the midst of our most dire of circumstances. And so for us this morning, this is the challenge of Habakkuk. To make our faith a way of life. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to see a world in upheaval, Lord, as we continue to hear promises of future struggle, 
Lord, as we increasingly realize the image of the good life is a fragile one. Lord, as we continue to live in the midst of a culture that pulls us in two different directions and can't make up its mind, I pray You would plant on our hearts that deep sense of abiding love. That, Lord, You would make our faith seasoned. That, Lord, You would build up in our faith a flexibility. That, Lord, You could have us look in the face of that which would steal our joy. And that You would make our faith certain. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know that faith, I pray, Lord, that they would seek Your face. That they would have the courage to ask those deep questions. To look back at the way that You have shaped our world and cared for Your people in some of the most bleak circumstances. And that You were present, alive, and active in the lives of each and every person. That none of this is beyond Your ability to show mercy. Lord, for the ways that we hold human pride, for the ways that we have not been faithful, we pray, Lord, for Your forgiveness and grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.